Um, so I'm going to invite our scripture reader forward, Judy, and she's going to do these readings. Thanks. are Psalm 130 and Luke 15, 17 through 24. They can be found on pages 573 and 965 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Luke fifteen seventeen through 24. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. invite you to pray with me. Our God of grace, whether we are sitting here this morning and we feel like we belong, or whether we're sitting here and we are very confused, whether we come with faith or with doubt, with pain, or with comfort, would you meet us? You have many tools at your disposal, and so we know that you can meet us. You have many ways, but you are a gracious God. You are forgiving, filled with compassion and mercy, slow to anger and abounding in love. Our hearts doubt that, and so we even need your help getting over what our hearts are bringing to the table. We need help rewiring our doubt from the inside. 
And so in this time now, we, we look for your voice, we listen for your grace and your love. We don't always know how to move forward or get towards you. And thankfully, the story of scriptures is that you move towards us. In a little while, in a few weeks, we'll start entering into Advent and Christmas, and we'll be celebrating how you moved into our world. You became, you know, fleshly, human. You were with us in the grime and dirt of this world and chose a path of suffering and dying in our place. And it's that kind of closeness and realness that we doubt, and yet, if it were true, how we would how we would be so filled with joy. And if we could believe it, how much our lives would be transformed. Meet us, we pray, with that grace. As we sit here more of a mess than we care to admit, may we also know at the same time that we're more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. Through your Spirit's help today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, when Brene Brown got um, millions of, of viewers uh, watching this TED Talk she gave, I don't know how many years ago, but it went viral, you know, because she talked about vulnerability. I wonder if that's going to roll off my tongue a little better as I go on. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Um, and, and this is probably one of my favorite quotes in her TED Talk. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, maybe it's, you know, for your viewing pleasure later today. Uh, Brene Brown. So she's this researcher, and she's laying out her, her research and her findings in the topic of vulnerability. And she says, vulnerability is at the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness. She says, but also it appears that it is also the birthplace of joy and creativity, of belonging and of love. And if she's right about that, and I think she's on to something, then our question of the week is something that we should expect to have a lot of depth to, because the safe route is not the vulnerable route. It sounds like it's a, a pretty hairy road to be on, the vulnerability road. So we got a couple of answers of what's the safe route, and someone said, for me, it's usually the one that keeps me safe but maybe at others' expense. Someone else said, when your back is against the wind and your sails are full, that's the safe route. That's an interesting way to put it. And that's what we tend to do, is in a sense we tend to go and we tend to think that success and we tend to think that moving forward and we tend to think that growth is going to be in strength and with full sails ahead. And I'm going to quote a few Writers today, and it's interesting, I noticed all these people I'm quoting, I just noticed this this morning, I had kind of all my materials arranged, and I said, you know what, I'm quoting a whole bunch of Christian leaders who are writing books on leadership for Christians, and all of them are anchoring their thesis on vulnerability as being important and crucial. So you'll hear a few different folks quoted today. All, you know, and, and I'm not saying, okay, we're all, if one of these quotes sounds like a leadership quote, okay, a lot of you I know are, have been used in leadership in church settings. But this is more just saying this is the way of following Jesus. This is the way of life as it should look in the life of a Christian. And so Peter Scazzaro, the emotionally healthy church guy, 
writes about himself. He says, I was determined in his younger years before he kind of hit a wall. He says, I was determined to remain stable, firm, consistent, and faithful. God had given me zeal and talents and lots of experience. I was going to be a warrior, a soldier, and a servant for God and his church. My preparation, however, both formal and informal, left out one of the most important biblical pathways to grow in spiritual authority and leadership, brokenness and weakness. And as a result, when the really big storms hit, I wasn't ready. He talks about this, how he started to get a sense of, hmm, I wonder if something's wrong here. And he says, I remember getting an invitation amidst his, his season of, hey, pastor, and I get asked to speak at all these places. He says, I remember getting an invitation to speak at a church growth conference in Tennessee because the plenary speaker had gotten sick and they needed someone to fill in. The honorarium was significant. But I knew I could no longer go. Something in my soul was dying at those conferences when I spoke. I had an uncomfortable feeling that I was not telling the whole truth. God had done a number of great things, but there was another side of the story and to me. And in many ways, what he's articulating is something we all feel deeply, isn't it? We all feel that there's this beauty inside of each of us, and we sense it, but there's also this brokenness. We walk around, and you wake up in the morning, and you have this sense of like, I'm a genius, you know? I'm, I'm going somewhere. I've got something. You know, I'm unique and I'm amazing. Right? You're not the only one who has those moments. Right? Some of you are like, how does he know? We have these moments. I'm, you know, I was built for something. I should, I have purpose. I'm going somewhere. My life is going to be something someday. And we do have this. And it's a true part of us. And there's another part that says almost the exact opposite. And sometimes on a daily or hourly basis, there's a side that says... I'm fragile, I'm a mess, I'm not getting anywhere, I'm broken, I'm flawed. And so we have to figure out what to do with that. How do you deal with those two things in that quote that I just read from Peter Scazzaro, that idea that those two things are there, or that if you, you, know, you go to one side, that side of strength, and there's a sense in which you're not being honest but that's what we do. We run from the weakness and brokenness and we, we turn towards the genius and the beauty. But it's not totally honest. And yet it's our, it's our way. You trace it all the way back. Imagine Adam and Eve in the garden. We have it right there in those early chapters of Genesis where they're made for greatness. They're made very good. And they're walking with their maker in peace with God. They're walking with God in peace every day in the cool of the garden until, they're, until they, they go their own way. They experience brokenness. Things are, paradise is shattered. And what are some of the first things they do when we get into Genesis 3 and all is not well? What is, what's the first thing they do? And somebody, it's a chance for you, your greatness to come out. What do you know? <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> They hide. Yeah, it's like they, they hide. They're, they're 
re- their brokenness comes out, and they, they also they cover up, too. They cover up and hide. There's a dishonesty. There's a running away, and that's in all of us. That's really the genius of the biblical story and the revelation that God wants us to hear from about our spiritual predicament our, and our spiritual story that we're invited into is that this is always going to be there. These two things at work and our tendency to run from one and hide and cover up. And yet the Bible doesn't let us do that because the Bible gives us instructions and the Bible gives us a prayer book. The Psalms, 150 examples of prayer, things that are supposed to train our hearts in how to have proper spiritual muscles, in a sense, proper spiritual practices that shape our heart towards God. And what do we get to? We get to this Psalm 130 today, a psalm that in many ways we'd prefer didn't exist and didn't lead us. I skipped it. Is it there? There it is. Psalm 130, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But there, with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. We're taught to pray. We're encouraged and instructed to bring our cries and our our deep journeys and our sins honestly to God. We're taught that there will be something productive, that this will be a safe place to go with these things. That there will be love that will meet us if we can go and sit with this stuff in God's presence. And so today is not just about, oh, you know, in my life every once in a while I, I make a mistake and I have to confess and then go back to business as usual. That's not what this is about. This is about a posture, a long-lasting posture that you go forward with, not just rinse and repeat. Oh, I'm going to push forward. I'm going to strive. I'm going to white-knuckle my life, and I'm going to bend it into my will. But once in a while, I'll mess up, so I better go ask for forgiveness. This is not about that. It goes deeper into posture, posture of weaknesses, weakness when strength could be what we grab hold of, a posture of uncertainty when we're tempted with control, a posture of lowliness, when we've lived our whole life going for loftiness. A posture that looks more like the lamb than the lion. It's about a posture. It's about a life. It's about a journey. And in some ways, life will give you chances. It'll give you opportunities to adjust, to course correct towards vulnerability. As one mentor of mine once put it, you know, a lot of us don't believe what, don't, we don't know what we believe until we meet a problem that we can't fix. Have you hit one of those places? Have you, have you come up to something that, that is so disorienting, that is so confusing, that is so um, shocking, just shakes you so much that you would give anything to either go back to some way that it was before, in the innocence of earlier days, or to move forward to some imagined future that you, can, you think is the right way to go. 
anything backwards or forward other than to be right in this, right now, where it's disorienting, where it's confusing, where the answers aren't there, where control isn't doing what it used to do for me. And that's exactly the kind of place that in the story of the prodigal son, where the son who runs off with his inheritance and spends it on all sorts of you know, despicable ways, it's exactly the moment that he gets to and that, that gets us into this reading that we have before us today with the prodigal son. He gets to a Psalm 130 kind of place. The more I looked at these two passages, the more I said, these are exactly the same. Psalm 130 and the place that the prodigal son gets to in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, when he comes to his senses and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out, I will go back and I'll say to him, I have sinned against heaven and against you. It's pure vulnerability. He chooses in that moment not to move forward with an impression management. I'll get myself together. I'll get myself to an acceptable point and then I'll present myself. And hopefully, I've got a little bit of leverage still. I've got a few cards to play to get myself ahead. Now, Somehow with the prodigal son in the story, he experiences the, the miracle that we all, it, for all of us, it's a miracle if you get to this point where you drop down your defenses and you say, enough of the way I was going, enough of making myself presentable, I'm going to cut my losses, and I'm going to bank only on one thing in this moment. I'm going to bank on none of my goodness, all I have left is the hope that God's goodness will meet me. I come with only my broken self. That's exactly what the prodigal son does. And he, re- he sets aside competency and strength. Have you hit one of those points? I do love how the, um, how the, the painting that Rembrandt does of the story, the return of the prodigal son can't see it that well. The lighting in here isn't great, but on the bottom left-hand corner, there's the sun. And he's, his clothes, if you can see the details of it, tattered, ragged, one shoe on, his hair, he's bald. He has come unpresentable with one last hope that God's love in his vulnerability, in his full weakness and brokenness, that the Father's love would welcome him back in. And of course, it does. That's, that's, the, that, that's not even what we're talking about today. That's the, that's the of course. Of course. The problem is us being willing to put ourselves in that place. Even the best of us. Even, like I said at the beginning, it's, it's one Christian leader after another, including myself standing up here, who would prefer to have it all together and to be looked at, speaking, making good observations, giving you advice and plans. One of my favorites is Henry Nouwen. And uh, he wrote a lot about this. And he got to a point in his life where this came to a head. He says, after 20 years in the academic world, as a teacher of pastoral psychology, pastoral theology, and Christian spirituality, I began to experience a deep inner threat. As I entered into my 50s and was able to realize the unlikelihood of doubling my years, I came face to face with the simple question, 
did, some, did, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? And after 25 years of the priesthood, I found myself praying poorly, living somewhat isolated from other people, and very much preoccupied with burning issues. Everyone was saying that I was doing really well, but something inside me was telling me that my success was putting my own soul in danger. I began to ask myself whether my lack of contemplative prayer, my loneliness, and my constantly changing involvement in what seemed most urgent were all signs that the Spirit was gradually being suppressed. So he enters into this time, and maybe you've read about this, he enters into a time of discernment, and what should I do next? And he's actually, he, be, he becomes very open and says, basically, God, give me a sign, give me a message, where should I go? How do I deal with this, this pain and this inner threat and this bad place that I'm in? And he gets this very clear message to go and live serving a community of mentally handicapped individuals. And so he enters into this, and then eventually he he's, speaks again when he comes back into the world of giving lectures and speaking, but it's from a different place. And when he talks about leadership, this is what he says about his experience and the people he served. He says, these broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of my relevant self, the self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things, and forced me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable open to receive and give love regardless of any accomplishments. He talks about how all his important theological distinctions meant nothing in this new place where he was. One of the examples he gives, I think, is hilarious. He's helping early on, and he's giving some food to somebody, and they, and they say to him, and he's this, you know, he's this genius of ecumenical work in churches. He understands different denominations of churches and what they all believe. And someone says to him, Hey, no, 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 he doesn't eat meat. He's a Presbyterian. And, you know, Henry Nowen's just like, what, that doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? You know, all of the things that, you know, that he had going into this now mean nothing to these people he's serving. And he says, I'm telling you all this because I am deeply convinced that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. You might think when you look at the prodigal son story, it's a very familiar story, and you might say, yeah, that's a great story. It's for those people who hit a point where they realize that they're an alcoholic, or they realize that they're, they've been promiscuous and they feel guilty about it. You know, this is for drug addicts and people like that. But I think Henry Nowen is here and all these other leaders and I'm here to tell you that it's for anyone basically who says life will happen my way. Anybody who's living that way. Have you been living that way? Life is going to happen my way. Then you are the prodigal son. And the invitation of the parable is to be maybe for the first time, maybe for the 1,000th time. You never grow out of it to get on your knees and be in the lowly place. The Bible leads us towards lowliness. That's the theme of growth in the Bible. Whether it's, you know, you see it in the New Testament, whether it's when Mary is affirmed for just sitting at the feet of Jesus when Martha is busy and accomplishing things. 
Whether it's when you look at how Jesus talked about the Beatitudes and we scratch our heads and we go, blessed are the meek. What? Blessed are those who mourn? What is he talking about? How does this even work? Is he just trying to be funny? Is he trying to be clever and sound like somebody who knows something everyone else doesn't know? But he goes on and on and on when you look at Jesus and he says, you know, you're only going to get there if you can become like one of these little ones, like this child. He says, the last will be first. And on and on and on. Why do we spend so much time missing it and not getting it? Wesley Granberg Michelson writes about Christian leadership and he says, mature leaders not only rely on their strengths, but perhaps more important, learn how to deal consciously with their weaknesses. Through self-examination, they bring their brokenness into the light and towards health. Effective leaders learn how to guard against the disintegration of their inward life through dealing honestly with their flaws and vulnerabilities. You're sensing a theme. We're not very content being the the prodigal son in the parable, and many of us, if we go back, many of us prefer the posture of the older brother. He's the one on the right-hand side of the picture. The posture that says, I'm going to present to the world, I'm going to present to God the Father my strength. I'm going to present my competency. And we come to God this way, and we present to God our ingenuity and our accomplishments. In a way, we present these to God, and we, we, we are hoping that God will open a door or two We've done most of it, but we hope that God will open a door or two to get more of what we plan. And so we don't want to go the route of the younger brother. We find ourselves like the older brother. Another writer that that connects these two things is Dan Allender. When he writes a book, and the title is great, it's about Christian leadership again, and the title of the book is Leading with a Limp. Leading with a Limp. He says, it is an odd business. The more I live, the more I fail. The more I fail, fall forward, and am caught in the arms of grace. The more I reveal the message of the gospel. But then he also says, the more I pretend to have arrived and to offer others advice on how they can do the same, the more I become like the prodigal's older brother, self-righteous and angry. The older brother's place, spiritually speaking, is a place of being protected and secure from Psalm 130, from crying out to God in our depths, in our chaos, in our confusion. The prodigal, the the elder brother place in the parable is the place of securely avoiding the uncertainty of God leading your life, being secure from transformation, being secure from any plan other than your own. We make big sacrifice, big impressive sacrifices, but we never really allow our own heart to be on the altar to potentially become a part of the sacrifice. Because I think we're dealing with a certain kind of image of spiritual growth. I'm going to have some earth-shattering artwork up here now. Um, Is this how you think of spiritual growth? If you can't see it and the lighting is what it is, 
It's basically just an upward trajectory. I see other people and I compare and they seem to be up there. They're, they're the one with the microphone. They're the one with the accomplishments. They're the one written about. So I'll get there and it'll look like this. A consistent journey upward. And yet many, many people have realized that that's not how it works. And in fact, a growth pattern of spiritual maturity, some really, uh, some really respected mentors of mine, I think of... Um, uh, Christian clinical psychologist Chuck DeGroat and um, Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan priest who, who writes a lot of things, and others have noticed as they walk with people in their journeys, this is more like what they see. And I'll just kind of walk you through some of it. You can't see it that well. And again, you can um, give your feedback on my artwork using the comment, comment cards. Um, but I thought I would... See, I might not even have what I was going to have. I'll just go from up here. So, is this perhaps more like what the journey is like of spiritual growth? Many people have discovered this is what it's like. That there is a period of, at the beginning, of idealism. Of, you know, being sacrificing. Of white-knuckling life. Of accomplishments. And of, really, what ends up being a part of this is a certain level of self-righteousness. And... Many people hit this point, and you'll hit one eventually if you haven't yet, where there's more of an identity crisis, where things don't play out like you thought they were, where, where things don't work out with your sacrificing, hard-working, black-and-white mentality. Things start to get gray, and the old ways don't work anymore, and that's when you have a crisis, and that's where the true growth can start to happen, but you'll have a, some choices of which way to go. There's a way of saying, I'll just try a little harder, I'll just dial it up, you know, turn it up to 11, and here we go, and there's that dotted line moving up. And what wise Christian leaders will say, who've walked with hundreds of people, they'll say that's a path that is shallow, and that is one of control, and one that is not actually growth, even if it feels like it. It actually is immaturity. But then there's another path of sort of staying in that place and never really growing from your crisis, from your wounds, from your brokenness. And there can be just a leveling out, never going up, never going down, and you become cynical and you become stunted in your growth. But then there's another path, and that's the journey downward, what's called the growth through descent. And that's a path if you're willing to See this as an opportunity. It's one of trust. It's one of surrender. It's one of compassion. It's one of mercy. It's one where the black and white lines make way for mercy, make way for love, make way for listening and waiting. Did you notice in Psalm 103, there's a word that's repeated, wait. You want to know, you want a barometer, a litmus test for your spiritual maturity. Work around that word wait. How are you doing with waiting? Because when you're in the earlier stage of spiritual development, when you're, when you're, what I would say, immature, when you haven't learned these lessons through crisis and through vulnerability and brokenness, you can't wait. And you meet God in the waiting Friends, let's remember that if at all you bristle against this, and you should expect to, on the, as that arrow going downward, let's remember one of the things that Jesus said to his followers is take up your cross 
and follow me. I don't think that that's an upward trajectory. I think it's downward. Let's pray. Our God, in something in which we feel so weak and incapable of understanding and of grasping and living out, we ask for your help. May we experience, rather than the tension and the stress and the worry and the discouragement of achievement, may we rather experience the delight and the freedom and the joy of the embrace that we might only find through vulnerability. Of the delight that you have in us only when we can be okay with our real selves. Meet us, we pray, in our brokenness, in our weakness. Draw us home. Tell us who we are. Return us to your presence. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.